Hello, welcome back to Creative Chit Chat. It's episode number 98 this week um, and I'm joined by Alice Black from DCA um, who is head of cinema there. And actually, I mean, this week's chat is absolutely fascinating. Um, I found it really interesting to get an insight into, I mean, I suppose how Alice's job works. Um, how she balances the the schedule and the screenings uh, at DCA, and how a sort of independent cinema operates compared to like a sort of Cineworld or an Odeon or, or or something like that, and how they cater to such a, a sort of wide and varied audience, and the sort of challenges of that, and how they how Alice picks the films that actually go on, and how. She, she herself sort of watches films and finds out about new ones and yeah just that whole process I found really interesting because actually when it comes to it I didn't really know that much about it um, but yeah I mean I suppose we, before we get into the episode uh, the next one up so number 99 I'm going to answer all your questions hopefully um, yeah and do a bit of a re- reflection on um, what has been a, a yeah a, don't know exactly how long, but it's over three years now of of recording conversations and chatting to people, and hopefully I've I've learned a couple of things along the way that I can sort of I don't know talk about. Um, so yeah, I'll be sort of recording that over the next couple of weeks, and then I'll put that out. Um, so yeah, if you do have any questions, just to pop on the end of that um, list that I have uh, this is your very last chance to get them in um, so you can do that by um, just pinging us a message on Twitter or Instagram it's at CCC Dundee um, or uh, it's facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash CCC Dundee and you can put them on there and I'll answer them in the next episode but yeah let's get into this week's fascinating episode with Alice Black um, I guess for me and film, I have to start pretty early. Um, I've always, always, always been interested in, in cinema and film. Um, you know how some people have more than one interest in life, like they might like to do a sport or and read books and then they have their job. But for me, it's always just been the, the one thing. And since I was really, really, really small, um, my dad got me my first 16-month projector when I was about eight. And I used to run, I only had one film print, which was Buster Keaton, the general, and used to run that um, for anybody who wanted to see it, including my teddy bears. Um, And my mom was always really interested in film and she used to um, talk about foreign language films. And as a family, we used to drive, I I grew up in a really small town in Canada um, in Ontario, and we used to drive like two and a half hours to go and see a film as a family that, that wasn't unheard of. Um, so it was a big part of my life from, from a very young age. One of my very earliest memories is my mother, um, she was taking me to see a ballet somewhere. I think she thought it was a good thing to do as a parent. It was something that every little girl would want to go and see. And when we got there, she had gotten into a muddle in terms of the day and the tickets were for the week that had just passed. So instead she decided to take me to see Polanski's test um, which I think was probably rated an 18 at the time, and I was about 10. Um, and it had a really big impact on me. Um, and I just thought about the film for ages and ages, and that was pretty much it. That's what I knew what I wanted to do. Um, when I was in high school then, uh, film studies, it wasn't really part of the curriculum, and they offered a film class, but it was for people who had trouble you know, with reading skills and that kind of thing. Um, and I campaigned to be to be allowed into the class because I really wanted to take it. Um, and they allowed me in the end. And, and it meant I met all these people in high school, you know, how you see in these like John Hughes films about North American high schools and how there's always the different cliques and things like that. Um, and that was definitely true, I think, in, in my high school. So I met all these people that I would would normally not have probably come into contact with. And I think that's also when I realized like film was a great leveler and, and something that everybody could really enjoy. And I liked that it brought different kinds of people together. Um, and then it, also when I was in high school, I campaigned <laughs> with my parents for them to let me out of school to go to the local university and, and take a proper film studies class. Um, 
so like from a very very early age it's pretty much always been the only thing that I've been interested in um, and I studied film at university uh, I went to university in Montreal and then I did an MA in, in Glasgow and then I did another MA in New York um, when I was in New York, I started um, an internship at, at MoMA at the Museum of Modern Art, and that kind of started me on my career path, I suppose, in terms of working in exhibition. Um, I was at MoMA for a couple of years before I started working at the um, French Embassy, the cultural services of the French Embassy in New York, promoting films uh, in the States. And that was kind of a completely different world to the museum. It was very diplomatic and film as a cultural product and um, the heritage of film. I mean, I think the way the French think about cinema has, has also been a big impact on my life in terms of film as you know, a, a right um, for everybody and um, as one of the most important art forms. Um, so that, that also, I think, really imprinted on how I, I think about films. As a, as a something that everybody should have access to and everybody should be able to enjoy. Um, and from New York, then I went to I went to Dublin. I went to Ireland um, following a man that I had met in in New York. Um, so I moved to Ireland. And when I my first job in Ireland was working for uh, an organization that helped and supported film societies. So again, it was kind of a completely different way that people would interact with film very much in a in a community setting um you know local people who were super passionate people from all walks of life you know dentists and um people taught in schools and they would run a local film club and, and i would help support them in terms of what they chose to show and um, when they chose to show it and that kind of thing and, and i did all the, the film bookings for them um, so that was also a, just another way of, of how audiences interact with film, you know, learning about how important it is to people in their daily lives on a local level. And I think that's probably why I'm, why I'm good at the job in Dundee and, and why it works, you know, to have that skill. Have you ever um, dabbled in the creation or production no never and it's something I really feel quite passionate about like my brother my brother always made films when I was growing up he was absolutely the filmmaker in the family with his own cameras and so on and he's a photographer now so um that was his creative journey um no never and I'm and I am quite like passionate about it that's not the only way that people can be creative around film um and we do a lot, say at DCA, we do a lot of work with schools and, and secondary schools. And I often talk to university students as well and try to, to make sure that people know that there is a different pathway in terms of engaging with film than just making it. Um, and the majority of people in the world don't get to make art. We mostly get to be an audience or, or, or somebody who interacts with it. And that's just as important. And, and just as creative and just as transformative as being as being the artists themselves, I think. I mean, I have a great deal of respect, obviously, for for filmmakers, and and I it's my job to champion them. That's that's what I do um, to bring them and audiences together. Really. Now I've lost my train of thought. I can't remember where I was. Um, you were in Ireland. Oh, I was in Ireland. Right. Yeah. Um, so working for film societies and then i um started working at the irish film institute um and there mostly my my main work was around um working on a french film festival i was the director of the french film festival in ireland and again that was kind of going full circle back to promoting french films and, and french cinema which i was very passionate about at the time and i also uh, did a quite a bit of work in terms of launching a children's film festival in, in Ireland, which is something that I brought with me then when I came to, to DCA, because one of the major projects that we do um, at DCA is Discovery, our, our film festival for, for young audiences. And that's another area of work that I'm really interested in. Um, I suppose that it kind of goes back to being interested in audiences and bringing films to them. It's like different 
audience groups. I'm just as interested in, in children's films as I am in films for older people or um, films for students or films for hipsters or whatever. Um, I'm interested in, in all kinds of films and all kinds of audiences. Um, and you have, and you really have to be, I think, to, to do my job well. Um, yeah. So how do you how do you work that out? So if you have so say you're given a target audience, how do you work out what what would be good for them? Yeah, I mean, I, I think at DCA we we often talk about our four main audience groups that we have, which are older people um, who have free time often during the day, and and then we have students and and hipsters. Um, and then we have cinephiles, kind of diehard cinephiles, and, and then we have families and young audiences. And, and each of those groups wants something quite different, really. I mean, it's, you don't want to generalize them. And there's people with different taste in, in all those age brackets. Um, but on the whole, those groups want very, very different things. And it's quite difficult to get something that crosses over all those groups. So often when I'm when I'm programming, if you take a, a DCA cinema guide and you open it up and you look at a week, you'll see that I've tried to pick something, I've tried to hit all those audience groups in terms of the films that we that we have on. Um, and I think I know, I mean, I don't always know what they want, but I have a good sense of what they want. Um, in part because I I'm paying attention to what people tell me, um, you know, and taking a temperature listening to what people um say in the in the cinema itself or on social media and that those kind of conversations so really really listening to the audience um people email me directly as well sometimes but i also look at you know audience data and how many people came and uh, what kind of groups they came in and those kind of things that might seem quite dry and not part of the creative process but actually are are, are fundamental ways that i get my information in terms of what people want to see. And then there's kind of a barometer, which is, do I think the film is good enough um, as well? And do I think it needs to be seen that people maybe don't know this is a film that they want to see, but I think it's important. Um, and not that I, Alice, think it's important, but me, the person who has seen all these other films that are out there and, um, you know, so I made a qualitative judgment based on what I've already seen before that this is this is something that should be seen. So there's an element of that as well. But it is challenging, definitely, when you only have two screens, which is all we have at TCA, um, to make sure that we have something that's going to satisfy as wide a, a range of people in Dundee as we can. Because how many sort of how many showings would you do in a in a week, say? Well, we do on average four shows a day and in each screen. So that's eight shows a day uh, and we operate every day of the week. Um, we also have additional shows in the mornings for, for some people will know about our Sydney Sunday screenings that happen on Sunday mornings with breakfast thrown in. Um, and we do relapse screenings and, and seniors and bring a baby and things like that. Those happen in the morning. So um, it's usually four a day, but on some days it can be five or six, even if it's more stretching late into the evening. So what was it that, that drew you to Dundee and to the role at DCA? I think probably I'm, uh, because I had kind of worked in all these different areas. So I'd worked in the cultural sector and I work in, I worked with film in the cultural sector and in the museum sector and the community setting. Um, but what I'd never really done was run a daily program and and that it's quite different it's a different skill to working in a festival or um in in something that has a the backing of a cultural institution so a daily program is about the longevity and trying to bring an audience on a journey you have a lot more scope to bring them on a journey with you over a long period of time and really shape people's viewing habits um, and I think the thing I loved about DCA and Dundee when I came was that it was, you know, it was a world-class um, arts organization and the building was spectacular. Um, but the cinemas felt very local, you know, so they kind of, it kind of bridged all the skills that I had previously. Um, and I thought I could bring something to it because when I came, the cinemas weren't particularly well attended. 
Um, and, and they were really struggling to attract an audience that kind of gotten a reputation, I think, of being quite elitist um, and only showing films and with subtitles. And, you know, that was the impression that a lot of local people had. So I, I kind of thought it would be, it would definitely be a challenge to try to make it more accessible to people and yet still retain that kind of, you know, breadth of programming. So still challenging the audience, but also, you know, giving them what they want to, to some degree. And why shouldn't I be showing Black Panther alongside, you know, Tarkovsky? Like to me, those are both as interesting and as important. So the programming that I brought, I think is, is more balanced and maybe more varied than it used to be. Because there's definitely a, a, a sort of, as you say, yeah, a balance between the the more commercial or widely available films, um, and then the more, I suppose, more like the films that you've selected that that people won't be able to see at that time in, in many other places, if anywhere at all. Yeah, I mean, I think people maybe don't realize that actually everything is selected, you know, because we we don't have very much space. So those uh, there's like. In the UK, there's maybe 14 to 15 new films coming out normally, uh, not in the time we're in at the moment, but normally 14 or 15 new films coming out every week. And we can only show maximum, I would say maximum four, five of those films. So already in terms of the mainstream stuff, I'm making a, a selection as much as I am with the more arty stuff, you know, and, and there is a, a decision-making process that goes on behind that and there is somebody behind it which is me who's made that decision about which which films we're going to show and which ones are important can you give us a little insight into that decision-making process uh, i can yeah um some of it involves <clears throat> deciding you know what i think is important what i think is important to show some of it involves negotiations so we have to negotiate with the distributors in order to get the films. And I think from the outside, a lot of people don't realize how difficult that is and, and how much um, constraints there are on us sometimes, um, in, especially to get the more mainstream films. In, if we're trying to get them anywhere near the opening date, um, distributors will, will require that we show them a certain number of times. So if you're looking at something like Joker or whatever, that's a big blockbuster. Um, the, in order to get that film on release, we would need to commit to showing it every single showing. So every single showing in one screen for at least two weeks, if not three. So that pretty much wipes out that whole screen for those, that two week period. So that means I'm gone from maybe having four new films that week to only having three or two. Um, so a lot of it is around those negotiations and trying to maybe claw back a slot on a Tuesday night so that we can show, you know, a Scottish documentary that people in Dundee want to see. Um, I think people maybe don't realize how difficult it is. And, you know, often people will say, why is DCA not showing this when it's opening? You know, why do I have to wait a week? Well, that's usually why the reason why we've had to wait a week is because, you know, we can't commit to all, all screenings of one particular film. Because um, we do a lot of other stuff as well. You know, we have alternative content. We have the live broadcast from the Met and the opera. We've got films for children. We've got, you know, people want to see Singing in the Rain or whatever. All those things take out slots from, from the, the longer runs. Um, and each and every single screening like that has to be negotiated so that we can show it instead of Joker or whatever we've made a commitment to. Because I mean, the, the, there's obviously a, a sort of a commercial consideration as well in bringing in audiences and actually making money at the end of the day. It's, it's kind of got to do that. Um, and you're fighting against the the, the cine worlds, the Odeons as well, which is maybe the the way that people are more accustomed to experiencing cinema mm -hmm. um, on on masses, I suppose. Um, DCA audiences may be slightly different, but. Um, I mean, maybe that's why there isn't that same understanding of the scheduling um, when they're used to just, as a film has come out, I go and see it because it will be on. 
yeah yeah and it'll be on multiple times a day and so on because it's in multiple screens yeah definitely it's it's very very different what we we do we're like operating in the same industry but we're operating on a completely different scale um so that is definitely challenging but i like to think like we are and i'm quite proud of the fact that um you know we do play alongside the big boys and we do open the films at the same time you know and it would it would be it's very painful for me when i have to wait a week you know and i know the film is at, at city world for a week before we get it um a lot of people will say oh people will wait and come and see it at dca and and then and they do which is wonderful but um i don't think they should have to wait so it, it does drive me nuts sometimes when that happens but then i mean it feels like that your your job is to is a constant balancing act yeah it is it's like a giant jigsaw puzzle for sure um and that's as much a part of the programming process you know i think a lot of people get fixated on oh selecting the films which is you know a huge part of it obviously um it's, it, that is the major part of my job but also a large part of it is the scheduling and negotiations you know and putting making sure the films go on at the right time for the audience that i'm trying to attract to them and in the right cinema because you know our, our, i'm sure you know and some of your listeners will know that dca has one screen which is quite large and the other one is, is quite small so different films play well in different different screens um and all that is part of the programming process really um because i want the films to have their best possible chance to, to find their audience and i want the audience to have the best possible experience they can have when they they come to see what they've you know parted with their money for um yeah so that's part of the creative process too which people might think is a bit dry and you know looking at excel spreadsheets and things like that doing the scheduling so if that's the dry part of the creative process, where's the fun bit? Uh, the fun bit, I think, is definitely when people come <laughs> and when they experience what I've experienced, um, when it, especially when it's a film that I love, because not everything I show, you know, is to my personal taste and, and that I adore. Um, if I've learned anything in this job, it's like one person's trash is somebody else's treasure. So people have very, very different taste and very different reactions to things. Um, and I can show films that I maybe don't don't think are the greatest films ever made. And but I know somebody will enjoy them and and, and get something out of it. But when it's a film that I love, and there are plenty of those. Um, and usually I've been waiting so long to show it because there's a lag between when I see films, because I see them so far in advance. Um, yeah, to finally be able to, to show something that I've been waiting for months and months and months to bring to Dundee, that's probably the most exciting part of the job. So do you watch every film, or have seen at some point every film that, that goes on in the cinema? Not every film. I would say 95% sometimes there it's just not possible nobody's seen the new star wars you know so i'm not going to see that in advance of booking it um so there are some films which just aren't available for programmers to watch but on the whole i'll have seen pretty much everything that's possible to see um definitely and i'll have seen you know twice or three times that number that i've said no to as well so it's not just the films that that we do show that I've seen. It's all the ones that I've discarded along the way as well that I've seen. So how does that work in sort of access to that? Are people approaching you? Are you approaching people? Is there a platform that you access all the content? How does it work? Yeah, it's a combination of, of both really. Um, people definitely approach me with their, their films and that's happening more and more as a lot of people, filmmakers are doing their own distribution. Um, but usually I see them at, I go to film festivals, so I go to three major festivals a year, which is Cannes, although it's not happening this year, um, Berlin and Toronto, and um, they're at three different times of the year, and, and they're very, very different in terms of what, what I see there. Um, Cannes is sort of the, the mecca, really, uh, in terms of art house and, and new 
yeah, new important films. And Toronto was very much the Oscar titles and uh, the more American and mainstream product. And then Berlin is more the experimental and, and new, so finding new stuff. Um, so I go to those festivals and I watch on average about five or six films a day when I'm at those festivals. Um, and they usually last for about two weeks. So I would see 50, you know, 40 to 50 films in, in, those, in that time period when I go to those festivals. Um, and then I get sent screeners for things throughout the year, like when it's not festival time um, by distributors. So I would watch those. There'd be, a, you know, a link that's um, protected and I would watch those in the office or at home. Um, it's not my preferred way of watching films, but sometimes that's the only way. Um, and then there's things called exhibitor screenings, which are usually preview screenings that distributors will organize so that we can see films in advance. So those are the main ways. Yeah. Because I think we all have our sort of rituals around how we we watch films, whether that's the the, the setup on the sofa or whether it's what you have for snacks or the lighting or, or whatever that is or what cinema you go to or what seat you like or um yeah so what when you're not being forced where's your sort of <laughs> ideal setup for for watching a film i never feel like i'm being forced i know it's part of my job but i mean i probably have one of the best jobs in the world but i i tend to i tend to watch films for work as well so it is it is part of my job um and it's quite rare actually that i would watch a film oh that's not true actually i do watch lots for myself but because i watch so much um as part of my job that in the like in the evenings or i tend to watch tv as opposed to films and to me it's quite a different experience um and i'm using a different part of my brain i think when i watch watch things at home, um, which I love as well. I'm a big fan of, of long form television, of drama series and Netflix um, as much as the next person. I really love it. Um, so in terms of film watching, because it's so tied up in work, I, I have pretty austere, like I have, you know, need to a, usually have enough coffee. Um, I, I wouldn't eat or drink anything in a cinema or, or when I'm watching a film. Um, I don't take notes either. I find that it's distracting. Why? Why wouldn't you eat or drink anything? Um, I'm focusing on the fil film. I don't know. I think it's partially because it's not a leisure activity for me. So I never, it's never been part of my process. It's it's serious business. Uh, even if I'm just there for fun. Um, yeah. I've never, I never have been a snacker and when I'm watching films. It's an interesting question. I never really realized about myself until just now. Um, and it's quite rare that I get to go to the films with other people, <laughs> like with my friends or whatever. Um, Cause usually I've seen everything ahead of time. Um, so it happens quite rarely. It is a sort of, I suppose, it is the norm to go with other people mm -hmm. but then you sit generally in silence and experience this thing just sitting next to people it's a kind of a strange construct um, it's like social but antisocial at the same time if you like. yeah i like to say it's communal you know i love that word it's like we're communing with it um because there is something about that about being in a room with with people and not not necessarily knowing them as well you know i i love to go and see a film during the day you know when no, you don't know anybody else there and you've taken yourself into the cinema that's when i'm on holiday or something i'll often try to do that um and i love going to other people's cinemas because i find it difficult to to relax when i'm watching a film at dca just because i'm always conscious that something might go wrong or I need to get up and say something or make an announcement or whatever. So I never really relax. Um, and I'm always conscious of, of how the audience is reacting, trying to gauge their response. I mean, are there specific things about that, about this other people's spaces that you, 
or like certain places or, or experiences that you've had in other cinemas that you, you really enjoyed? For Yeah, I, I think uh, uh, where I've seen something is, is as much um, part of the experience of watching as the film itself. You know, like I, I often, when I talk about the films that I love most, I can almost always tell you where I've seen them. Um, you know, so the actual setting is as important as the as the film that I'm. You know, in terms of the experience, um, and I'm I'm really interested in projection standards and things like that. So if I've seen something projected properly, and you know, the, the soundproofing's been great, or um, that's part of the the joy for me as well. Yeah. And I've got favorite cinemas around the world that I've been to, and it's wonderful to see how different um, different cultures present films as well. You know, different in different places. I love that kind of yeah. The ad reel in in Sweden or whatever, you know, is completely different from what we do here. And coming from North America, I mean, I was used to a different different kind of way of presenting films in Canada, where I grew up. I mean, you touched on there the, the the sort of projection standards, um, but at DCA, so you would show um, digital films um, as well as sort of celluloid. What's the difference in that sort of process, and how does that that work and affect the sort of end result? Um, you mean in terms of getting the films or actually showing them? Sort of both, I suppose. Like, what is the I suppose, what's the difference in that process? Um, well, let me think. One, I mean, one is a mechanical process and one is a, is a digital process. So the, the, um, the end result in terms of the, the image on the screen is very different. I mean, with digital, the, the beauty of it is that it's, you know, pristine and every single time you show it, there's no degradation. Um, but it's also, I would say, to me anyways, quite a cold image um, and and tiring on the eye in the way that celluloid isn't. Celluloid moves, there's something kind of, you know, the actual image, move, you can see it moving. Um, and, and there's a warmth to it. It's kind of like the difference between, you know, people talk about the difference between listening to digital music and listening to a record. Um, there's something in the, in, the, in the warmth, I think, of that. Of the celluloid that that makes it easier to watch um, but it's actually incredibly rare nowadays that we get our our hands on a print um, very very rare and we try to do it as often as we can and, and whenever the opportunity comes up for a new release um, to get a film 135 we would go for it but it is it's much harder to do now there's very few being produced i mean tarantino's um, once upon a time in in Hollywood was is the last big release that was done on thirty five, and only not very many cinemas, you know, were able to show it in that format. It's something that we're really lucky. We've still got our projectors. We've got twin projectors in both sides, um, both screens, and we've got most importantly projectionists um, who know who have the skills, and it's a skill. Um, not very many multiplexes would have projectionists at all. Um, it's all done, you know, from a centralized place or by a duty manager. Um, but we we always have projectionists in the booth, even if we're showing digitally, um, because we're we have a commitment to projection to the standards that we're showing. Um, yeah, they're they're very different. I mean, I, I I can see the benefits in both. Like digital has given me given DCA access to films that we would never have gotten before. Um, back when films were being released on 35, often if you were in a, a small regional town, you would have to wait, you know, a couple of weeks before the film was finished at the big cities, and then they would send the print to you. And by then, it you know it would have been used, so it wouldn't maybe necessarily look as good. Um, so. That in, in that sense, digital has, has made things more available to us, for sure. And some of the restorations are, are amazing, um, digital restorations of older titles um, are absolutely stunning. And digital sound is great. I think that's probably one 
one great benefit. Um, I suppose we've, we've not really talked about, I mean, you sort of briefly mentioned what's going on at the moment, um, but it would be good to chat about, um, I mean, how the whole situation has, has affected yourself and I suppose how that affects uh, a space that is primarily about bringing people together for an experience um, and maybe sort of like what, if you know or have any thoughts on what that might look like going forward. Yeah, your guess is as good as mine, Ryan, at this stage, you know, um, we're in such uncharted territory at the moment. And, you know, I'm not, I'm not under any illusion um, in terms of what I do compared to other, other roles um, and people who are, who are working at the moment and still have to go to work and doing amazing jobs. But I do believe in the importance of, of culture and, and I do think it's, it's something that is vital to our society and, um, and I can't wait to get, get back to work and, it, it, you know, in terms of bringing audiences back into to DCA. But I do think it's going to be, it's quite a long way off. And in terms of my, me personally, I, I definitely wake up and think, what's the point of me being, or being here? <laughs> because my whole world is, revolves around bringing audiences and cinema films together in a, in a dedicated space and that communal experience that we were talking about and the joy of discovering something and um, together. And I guess a lot of my tools are gone, like Cannes, for instance, which is, you know, would have been a big festival for me in order to see 50, 60 films so that I'd be able to, to make those decisions correctly um, for the audiences in Dundee. So that's gone. Um, and I'm not sure what's going to replace that. So in, even when we get back up and running, which I think will be a ways off and, and probably in a way that's not recognizable to us, you know, I don't think we'll have the, the traditional cinema experience back again for, for quite a while. Um, it'll be difficult to do that without the tools that I normally have. But there's lots of online and, and digital activity that's going on and lots of exciting stuff that's, that's happening in terms of free access um, online. Um, so maybe it's an opportunity too for us all to, to think about doing things differently. Um, and what we would change and also maybe kind of crystallizing what is important and what we love, you know, about that cinema experience. So a lot of people have said to me, oh, you know, everybody's so used to watching Netflix now and especially during lock lockdown that we're all at home. You know, maybe people won't come back to the cinema. And I think they will. You know, I think, if anything, we're going to need it more more than ever and we'll appreciate it more than ever and we'll be so excited <laughs> to get back in to watching things with, with groups of people uh, in the dark um, off our sofas hopefully that's, it, that's my goal <laughs> we have i mean i suppose people are still trying to produce um sort of tv shows as well and sort of entertainment content um at the moment as well but the one thing that that seems to lack and is really missing is this as an audience like a live audience there's things like i don't know if you've watched have i got news for you um it, it just it just feels really awkward and bad uh, i can't watch it it's, it and yeah they've tried it without an audience and then sort of superimposed the videos on top of like a, a digital representation of the studio which is just kind of bizarre you're just watching a, a zoom call really i know i mean it, it does take time doesn't it for somebody somebody will come up with something incredibly creative in terms of a new way of making entertainment uh, and story visual storytelling um it, in the world that we're living in at the moment it just takes a little bit of time doesn't it but then i think it it, it makes you appreciate that the atmosphere that's created mm -hmm. whether you're um yeah, watching a film or you're at theatre or, or whatever it is like that, that thing that can't be replaced with a mass gathering of, of people. Mm -hmm. And also I think there's something to be said about the, 
you know, the funnel, like, I, I don't know about yourself, but at the moment I feel like I'm being bombarded with like, you know, you could watch this, you could watch that. There's this free, this over here. It's like too, there's too much. Um, and I'd imagine that's true for, for people as well. So there's something about, you know, I, like in my job, I've done the, not the pre-selection, but you know, here, here's a, a pathway that's, um, you know, somebody has created for you. And I'm, I feel like I'm kind of missing that at the moment, you know, and I think audiences are probably missing it as well. There's a great thing in that you do discover stuff that you didn't know was out there, but sometimes it can get a bit overwhelming too. Yeah, and I think um, it's that sort of complex when you, you open up something like a platform like Netflix that has so much content um, and then you spend as long looking for something that you want to watch as you do actually watching it. But then yeah. I started to see them putting in these mechanisms to sort of combat that, so like the um, top 10 in the UK mm -hmm. today and things like that. So you're, I, I suppose we strive for that sort of curation or that um, certification or, or in some way that the validation that that content is worth watching. Mm -hmm. uh, if enough people have said that or it gets a good enough Rotten Tomatoes score or, or whatever that is then it will go right okay well I'll give that a chance yeah I always think the danger with that on Netflix is that you know that's the top 10 of people who have clicked on it for two seconds and then clicked out because it was crap um, there, yeah <laughs> I'm always a bit dubious the algorithms they never quite work when I first got Netflix, I remember I spent like 10, 12 hours or whatever it was watching Ken Burns' documentary, the, the Civil War, which is brilliant. And then when I was finished, Netflix truthfully popped up and said, oh, we, you've just watched Ken Burns' The Civil War. We think you'd like The Notebook. <laughs> There's absolutely nothing joining those two things together other than the word that the title. <laughs> I mean, I like the notebook too, but not after I've seen Ken Burns the Civil War. Yeah. But then, I mean, maybe so I was listening to something the other day, and they were talking about um, uh, almost the the lack of understanding or appreciation of how long it takes to create something um, to the level that we are accustomed watching. Mm -hmm. So we have a lot more long form dramas and TV series that are massively high budget um and really high production value um but they take years to produce mm -hmm. um so we're going to get to this point in time where there won't be any new content to the level that we've become accustomed to so maybe there is an opportunity there at that at that point where we're going to have to not watch anything new and, mm -hmm. and look backwards yeah possibly or 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 be more open to, to different kinds of making. Um, yeah, definitely. I mean, it's an absolute, who knows what it's gonna be like. You really don't. I mean, it feels like Disney has enough product to keep us going for a year at least. But <laughs> they have so many films, it's crazy. Um, but yeah, no, in terms of new productions, it, there will be a lag be interesting to see i'd happily delve into the history of cinema and bring out some classics <laughs> so uh, this is a question that's become a bit of a regular on the podcast okay um, and people often find it difficult so that's why i like to ask it <laughs> um but where do you feel your expertise lies I think my my expertise definitely lies in the fact that I've seen so many films. <laughs> and I mean, it's a huge bank in my head. And I, I think that that allows me or that helps me make those decisions on what's, what's good and what's important. You know, is something a derivative of something else? Is it... A, a repeat has this been done before this is new like when you when you see something new somebody doing something that hasn't been done before in terms of 
how the story has been told or what they're the, what the story is they're telling or anything like it's so exciting you know and i think that comes from having having just seen so much so i mean obviously you've watched as you said like a ridiculous amount of films um and some of them will be good and some of them probably not so much but what so what for you is it that that makes a good film Hmm, that's a really great question. I think it's probably when everything kind of comes together. So for me, an example of that would be a film like Moonlight. You know, in terms of, I felt emotionally touched by that film, but also it was stunning to look at. Uh, the construction of it was interesting. It was a filmmaker whose voice I hadn't heard before. You know, all those things kind of come together in that film for me um so that's what makes it great <laughs> but that's not always the case sometimes it'll just be one element um yeah that's a really good question i don't know if i can answer it i just know i know like within five minutes sometimes i know <laughs> we always joke at not necessarily that it's a great film but that it's going to work for for an audience or that i'm going to book it um, and I sometimes joke with my fellow programmers when we're in festivals at a, a, you know, you've been watching films and this is your fifth film of the day or whatever. And you know, from the moment the credits come up, if it's good or not. Like whether it's going to be a runner in the cinema <laughs> or not, just from the credits. But you will watch the rest of it. Oh yeah, of course, always. Because a film can always turn it around. I, I would never let some, you know, say you should leave the cinema before the film is over. Reservoir Dogs to me was the perfect example of that. Like people were leaving the cinema, you know, oh, it's too much violence. And you need that, you need the ending, you need that catharsis or something like La La Land, like the final, final sequence of the film for me made the film. You know, you need that melancholy at the end of the film. Otherwise it's just, you know, saccharine um, musical. So never, I would never ever leave the film until it's over. Do you think you're a harsh critic? Yes, I would say I am. When you watch as much as I do, um, really so much is repetitive, for sure. Um, so yes, I would say I'm, I'm very harsh. And do you think that's through just just purely through necessity. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, I have very high standards, I think. But it, again, like my person, that's for me personally, my personal taste doesn't doesn't come in necessarily to the selections that I make. So, but for me personally, if for something to I, like really impress me, it has to be different. <laughs> and I don't mean like, wildly experimental but and you know it can just be in terms of its content or i'm really really interested uh, in performance so i'm always really interested in what what actors are doing and um i'm in, in the middle of writing my phd at the moment and i'm working on performance so it's some, that's something that i'm always looking at and usually for me i can find something interesting and even in a bad film in terms of what the actors are doing and just before we finish, um, could you give us some recommendations? Mm -hmm. Purely from your taste though, because you spend so much time curating for a wider audience. I, I want to know what, what you would recommend that you love. Uh, at the moment, like something new, you mean? Sure. Mm. Or something yeah. else. Yeah. Uh, I'm trying to think. I mean, in terms of what I've been watching on lockdown, mm. um, I watched. I've been watching a lot of crap TV initially. I think that was just a shock. So, like, I couldn't. I didn't have the attention span to watch anything more than MasterChef. Um, and then I've been just revisiting old friends, I think. I mean, The Deer Hunter came on BBC 
late on Sunday, I think Sunday, it was a Sunday night. And I should really have just gone to bed, but I mean, just it's brilliant to see that again. And it's a film that I absolutely love and know well, um, and normally would only watch in the cinema, but I, it was so comforting to see it again. Um, and then I guess the thing that I'm most excited about at the moment is, is actually television, um, BBC's, the adaptation of Sally Rooney's book, Normal People, which has just started. Um, and that's kind of film related because um, six of the episodes anyways are directed by Lenny Abrahamson, an Irish filmmaker, um, who I also, whose work I really like and really admire. And it's so far anyways, I've just started it. Um, really interesting TV. So that I'd recommend that. I'd also recommend that. I have started watching that. It's yeah. not normally what I would go for, but uh, yeah, it's really good. Yeah. I wept my way through the first episode. I, have to say. I just, yeah, I, I really like the book as well, but um, yeah, the Irish, the Irishness of it is spot on. Okay, great. Um, so if, if anyone wants to um, keep up with what you're doing going mm -hmm. forward, how do they do that? Uh, I guess just keep in touch with DCA in terms of the social media. We'll still be, we're doing a lot of stuff online. We've got a film club going at the moment um, online, which is around shorts, like so early shorts of filmmakers that you know, but you might not have seen their, their early work. So how they got started, a lot of them, or, or sometimes they have a mid-career divergence into short filmmaking. And so people like, you know, Spike Jones, we started with, and then we did Taika with TT. Um, so we're going to be doing that every week. Um, and there's a little discussion as well, and you can watch the film. Um, so probably on our social media channels is the best way, I think, to keep in touch. And we will be producing, producing stuff online um, as long as we're closed and working hard behind the scenes to, to try to reopen as soon as we can. Okay, no, thanks very much. So, that was episode 98. Thank you very much to Alice uh, for being a guest. And yeah, I hope you find that insightful. Um, I definitely did. It was really interesting to sort of hear that, that whole behind the scenes uh, part of how DCA cinema actually works. And yeah, um, I'll probably be back in a couple of weeks. I'll give me a bit of time to put the next episode together. The all-important number 99 milestone episode. Um, yeah, hopefully I can sort of put together some interesting thoughts um, as an episode for you. Um, but yeah, until then, just follow on at CCC Dundee on Twitter and Instagram. Um, it's facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash CCC Dundee. Or you can find the podcast on Spotify or whatever else you get it, just search for Creative Chit Chat and it should come up hopefully um, but yeah, other than that I'll speak to you in the next episode so, bye